0: Okay, so good to see you all talking together, meeting each other, lots of new faces, so I hope you're making some connections today, and you're invited to join us for pizza after we'll go outside and have pizza under the trees, so there'll be more time to chat and connect. So I have a question for you. Um, At the airport, what do you prefer, departures or arrivals? Oh, it's so interesting, so interesting. You know, departure, there's tears. Arrival, there's joy. <laughs> wow, you're back. I'm so happy to see you. I love to be a people watcher at arrivals because I get to see the joy of reunion. It's so exciting. Every once in a while, there's one that doesn't seem to be going well, but usually— there's just immense joy that while you're back and the hugs and the reunion, and sometimes there's tears of joy there as well. We're going to examine one of the great reunion stories, but it features both departure and arrivals that didn't go well and that did go well. And it's in Jesus' story in Luke 15. We started his stories last week of things that were lost. There was lost sheep. (laughs) But there was also the lost coin. Oh, wait a minute. The lost shirt. Somebody lost a shirt last week. Anybody willing to confess? You lost your shirt on the way back somewhere, somewhere along West Mall. You lost your shirt. It was found on the ground. We could have a reunion, there could be joy, (laughs) you could find your shirt. See, Jesus told a story of a lost coin, and the the coin was lost just by virtue of the the manager mishandled it, like this shirt. The sheep was lost because that's what sheep do, they wander away. And this week we're going to look at the story of two sons, two brothers, who are lost by virtue of their own wills, their own decisions have set them on a course of being lost. And yet it is God's invitation again to joy that it so marks the stories. Relational joy is God's way of building and maintaining his family's identity relational joy interrupts our own relational amnesia. The Father's glad to see us. And then it resets our identity in Him. Let's look at it in the story that Jesus tells from Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 11. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, Give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went. And hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, Hmm, how many? Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what was going on? Your brother has come home, he said, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father answered, You are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Jesus told this story and the two before it the sheep and the coins, because the Pharisees were watching and muttering under the breath that this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. It was their accusation against Jesus. It was their religious analysis. It was a word that was filled with disgust, and their relational circuit was stuck. It was switched off. It's like the elevator of joy got stuck, and it was stuck between the floors of disgust and anger, anxiety and shame, sadness and despair. Now, while they may not have felt all of those, we can be fairly confident that they felt disgust and that Jesus, the brilliant teacher that he is, was able to reach in and also diagnose some of the other feelings that were disrupting the relational circuits and joy of the Father in their life. And so he starts telling stories that recast them and God and the sinners, traitors, and losers that Jesus was hanging out with. Jesus is inviting, with this very story, Jesus is inviting the tax collectors and sinners, sinners these traders and losers, into his joy, into a vision of table life. But Jesus was also inviting those Pharisees and tax collectors, those do gooders and Bible studiers, into his joy, into his table life. Would they make the move or not? Would they let the switch be turned on, or would they leave it off? Would they let the new script that Jesus was giving move them from disgust into joy, from shame into joy? That's a question for us as well, isn't it? One of the pictures I draw a lot, if we ever get to sit down and have coffee, Looks like this. I'm so happy to have the chalkboard here. So good. In Christianity, we, we work out of a basic idea that we've actually been created for relationships, that this was God's intention from the very beginning, that we would have a relationship with God, that we would have a relationship with self, that we would have relationships with people, and that we would have relationships with the stuff of earth. That's earth. That's my art. But the great story of Scripture is that this got disrupted, that what was enjoyed in this communion of righteousness was that in this side, people were actually enjoying an enormous sense of honor, an enormous sense of innocence and an incredible sense of trust. But when sin entered into our lives, and we wandered off, and we moved off, and we've been influenced by the voices around us to question God, to leave God, even to rebel against God, what happens is that honor turns into shame. That innocence turns into guilt. And that trust... It turns into fear everywhere. And in the story that Jesus told, these are at play. These are at play in the relationships of the younger son to his father and to his brother. It's in the play of the relationships of the older brother to the father and to his younger brother. These are at play. These are at play in all of our lives as well. You know, the younger brother, it says that he came to his senses. Have you ever had a moment like that where you had to, oh, I get it, I think. Oh, this, this life could be so different. Oh, my relationships could be different. Oh, my belly could be full. They've got pizza at that church. (laughs) We come to our senses about something. He had this revelation, and it moved him. Jesus is such a master storyteller that just the picture of a young Jewish man in a foreign country having run out of money, hiring himself to work for another, and feeding pigs would have been a picture of shame. The lowest he could go at the moment. He was probably having to work for the Romans who did like their bacon. The Jewish people didn't eat bacon. And he couldn't find anyone who would help him. But he persisted in it Until times got really tough for everybody, there was a famine in the land. And the light came on for him. Something shifted in his spirit, and he had an aha moment. He found an argument against his shame. Do you know, shame always moves us to hide. I do like Molly Skagg's song, where she sings, Oh, shame is a prison as cruel. I've forgotten the words here. As a grave. Shame is a robber who's come to take my name. Shame always steals our identity. Shame always seeks for us to hide and cover up. I mean, from the beginning, Adam and Eve hid themselves, and God had to come and ask, Hey, where are you? Now, God knew where they were, but they didn't fully realize. They had just automated themselves with the shame response of hiding. The shame response isn't sometimes just that we will hide. A shame response is that we will hustle. Mm. We're all about the hustle, aren't we? If we're not hiding, we're hustling. We're hustling to get it better. I'll do better, I'll work harder. Did you notice what the younger son said? Oh, the hired men at my dad's place have it better than me. I'll just go and work harder. I'll become a slave and a servant to him. I'll go back, but I'll do better. I'll be better. So shame works for us to hide, but shame also works to make us hustle. We're afraid to embarrass ourselves, so we study harder. We're afraid to disappoint someone, so we work harder. I'm not against hard work. But I am against hustle fueled by shame. The father's remedy for the younger brother's shame was that the father ran to him. The father embraced him. The father was full of compassion towards him. The father just didn't seem to pay much attention to the confession, and rushes to give him back his identity. Put a ring on his finger. Put sandals on his feet. Give him a robe. Let the party begin. The father moves quickly to reestablish the identity of the younger son as his son, not his slave. The movement towards our identity is Jesus' remedy to shame and its hiding and its hustle. But what about the older brother? The older brother is actually a little more interesting than the younger brother. We're all familiar with the younger brother construct because, you know, we've been there. We've wanted to taste and see what the world was like. We've had our moments. But the older brother... He was highly committed to doing good, highly committed to do the right thing, highly committed to being honorable and maintaining respect. The older brother was having a hard time with the script that the father was setting. So the younger brother came to his senses, but the older brother came near the house. Did you catch that? That movement? The younger brother came to his senses, but the older brother came near the house. And his senses are on. He's like, I hear the sounds of a great party. Sort of like Moses coming down the mountain when the the people of Israel were having a party and revelry and having this loose kind of joy. Moses is like, I can hear the party. And Moses went down to condemn that party because it wasn't based in their identity. And the older brother's coming with his sense of self righteousness. And he says, What's going on? What's going on here? And one of the people of the house tells him, Oh, your father is throwing a party because your younger brother has come home. He's got him back. And the older brother was so angry, he refused to go in. Have you ever missed a party because you were jealous? (laughs) Yeah, one confession here on the front row. You miss a party because you're jealous of someone else's good fortune. You don't want to celebrate with them. Instead, you go by and you look in the window You drive by and wonder what would it be like, but you couldn't go in. And notice the father. The father, having run to the younger brother, now comes out of the house to see the older brother and to reason with him. When we listen, we hear in the older brother, his grievances. His grievances. And his grievances are actually a collection of these emotions that have him stuck in the elevator. And he can't get to that top floor to share the joy of the Father. He's stuck because of his grievances. His first grievance is that this is unfair. This is not fair. I've been working hard. I've always done what's right. And when he comes back and you show him mercy, it's not fair. His second grievance is, I've been working like a slave. Ooh, did you hear that in his heart? I've been working like a slave. Hmm. I've been slaving for you. No wonder his joy elevator is stuck. He was always in the have to instead of the get to. I have to do this rather than I get to do this. He had lost sight of the joy of being with his father. His third grievance is that He was expecting a payday. He thought he was entitled to a payday. He thought that just because I've been a good boy, just because I've done things that are good, just because I've checked all the boxes, I should get to have more fun too. And he was actually jealous of the younger brother who got his inheritance early. You know, he was disgusted, so disgusted with the younger brother, that he couldn't call him his brother. He just called him this son of yours. The son of yours. Do you know, Jesus is a master storyteller. There's so much to unpack here. But notice his remedy. The remedy in this, again, is the identity. The father comes and says, My son... Immediately leans into his identity with the angry son. My son, you are always with me. Do you know some of you were really worried last week because the shepherd left the 99? <laughs> Someone raised it in our life group. Is that okay? You leave the 99 sheep out there? You know, are they going to be safe <laughs> all together? And you left. And the father says, look, you're always with me. In fact, in Hebrew culture, to be the older brother is to be one who is to tend to the unity of the family. And in this story, the younger brother never makes a move to go after the younger brother and help him back, to give him a script to come back to seek him. He never makes that move. And yet the Father had invited him. You are always with me. So come be with me now. And everything I have is yours. There's enough stuff here. There's an abundance. There's no need for you to be jealous. It's all yours anyway. Have you ever felt stuck in your relationship with God? That the joy elevator is stuck. And because you're experiencing so much anxiety, you don't sense the presence of God. Because you're experiencing so much anger, you can't, you don't have the scripts yet. To actually seek God. Because you feel so ashamed, you just want to hide and hustle instead of resting in the embrace of the Father. Maybe you were ashamed of what you had done. And the Father knows. And the Father is inviting you to his table. At the end of the story, if salvation is seen by the picture of the table, who is saved at the end of this story? Who has entered into the fullness of joy? The younger son? And it was the Bible studiers and the do-gooders that needed the extra coaxing to come back to the table. Jesus is telling this story as an invitation to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law to say, hey, you're missing out on the Father's joy. This may well have been one of the most important days in that father's life, if you play out that story. The day he wanted to share it with all his children at the table. Michael Card also says we have to look at God. We have to look closely at the father in the story. He says, if if you think you're actually finished with this parable, try looking at the old man as he might have been heard and seen by the people of Jesus' day, as he told the story. That the old man is a fool. He's a fool to divide his fortune and give the share to the younger brother before his death. In fact, by dividing the estate, he's giving away his own retirement. He's a fool to linger on the road, looking for the prodigal to come back. He's a fool to go running, believing that a little lame speech from a boy might set things right. He's a fool to throw away all of his possessions again on a party for this boy. So if you shift your imagination you begin to see that Jesus is telling an extraordinary story in which God seems foolish. Is God a fool to love you? Knowing all that he knows, is he a fool to love us? He loves us so much That the thing that offended the older brother and others about Jesus is what might offend us. That the one from whom we have no right to expect anything gives us everything so that we may have a share in his joy. How do you ruin a dinner party? How do you ruin a dinner party? Pull the tablecloth off the table, drink too much, talk about religion and politics. (laughs) But how do you ruin a party? A dinner party, the dinner party of heaven? It's to not respond to the invitation. Jesus is inviting you to leave your hiding and your hustle. Jesus is inviting you to leave your grievances, your anxieties, your jealousies, and your fears, and to come to the table. Because he has said it, and he has paid the price for it with his own body. As we come now to the Lord's Supper, we're going to consider the table that Jesus has set with his own body, his own flesh given like bread to be broken, his own blood poured out for the forgiveness of our sin and shame and grievances, our wanderings and our embarrassment about how we were affected by the world. He poured himself out in love for us, that we might have joy. How different this story would be if the older brother had said, you know, Dad, you're right. Let's go to the table. And enjoyed the feast, the table the father had set for him. How different your life and story will be if you trust Jesus and come to the table. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we entrust ourselves to you and we pray that even now you would be drawing us to yourself and that you would cause your joy to well up in us. Father, would you cause us to remember this great story in the future? Would you plant the seeds in our life that can give us the script back from disgust, from shame, from anxiety, from anger, from sadness, and from despair, so that we may enter into the relational joy of heaven and your table. And he warned them, you're about to enter a time of grief. The grievances are going to pile up in a way. He says, you will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief. But I will see you again. And you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me for anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. In that same meal, Jesus took the bread that was common to the Passover, and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, Jesus took the cup, And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. The scripture says that whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.